0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So in, in, uh, when you talked about at, by the end, is it by the end of the day that you, you're getting tired? Um, sometimes that means in, uh, uh, you might be trying too hard. With the mindfulness, um, you, know, you know the fact that you say when when you you want to stop being mindful, you actively distract yourself. Well, I'd like to encourage there. I mean, keep going with the way you have been going. But when you decide to um, stop being mindful, just stop trying to be mindful and see what happens, because often there's. A little bit, even in the even in the time when you say you're being mindful while engaging with what you're doing, my guess is there's probably some trying there, a little bit of doing the mindfulness. Um, and you could in that point, since you are mindful, one of the one of the ways to play with it, if you feel by the end of the day that you're getting cu- tired with the mindfulness, usually it means there's some over-efforting. And so when you are mindful, when there is that sense of there being a little bit of mindfulness rolling, play with the, you could play with the question, how little effort do I need to be mindful right now? Um, so, you know, really... Um, Play, play with backing off the trying a little bit and see if there is some um, natural momentum. So just play a little bit with the um, the level of effort and see if it can be more um, uh, sustainable in, a, in effect. Yeah. Maureen, you can, yeah. Just restate the question. Go and turn the, yeah. Um, so... Um, in looking at thoughts, I talked about how often um, particularly when thoughts are repetitive or frequent there 's often a, a kind of an emotion that 's connected with those thoughts, and um, the question is about um, how do we um, what so first I think the first question was what is an emotion, and um, you can understand the Uh, thoughts as being mental, but you're not sure where emotions come from. And the second question is, how do we get in touch with emotions? Um, So first of all, uh, you know, I'll say that in the the Buddhist understanding, and probably in the um, at the time of India, of the time of the Buddha, the understanding about mind and I mean, in, in our culture, I think we tend to divide up mind-heart. You know, we, we kind of separate mind-heart um, in terms of what we think about as mind. We don't think about emotion so much as mind. We think about it as heart. Um, and in the, the, the Buddhist um, time, and I, I don't think it's just the Buddhist texts themselves, but probably was in the time of the Buddha, they had one word that meant mind-heart. So, uh, and they actually talk about the seat of the mind, and the word they use in Pali is citta. The seat of citta is here. And so, um, th- th- I mean, this is a broader context for emotions right now, so this is, this is a broader context for this discussion on what is an emotion. Um, so, within the context of Buddhist understanding, they, they don't actually so much talk about emotions being separate things, they explore them as states of mind, and that includes so many different kinds of things, like um, uh, you know the things that we would typically call emotions: anger, frustration, uh, confusion. Well, confusion we might not call an emotion. That's an that's an interesting one. Um, um, that that we we might call a state of mind: confusion. Um, Fear, um, desire, uh, liking, not liking—these things we'd we'd call, we would, we might call emotions. Um, Other other states of mind that you know, in the Buddhist terminology, they don't distinguish emotions from mind states. States of mind would would include things like boredom. Um, It it include uh, mindfulness, concentration. Um, so, so there's a, a wider range of what would be considered a state of mind. Now with, uh, with respect to, um, emotions in the way that we talk about them, I think of emotions as having uh, basically three aspects to them. They have, uh, a mental sense, you know, that like when, when there's a fear, for instance, there's a sense of, get me out of here. Um, when there's um, joy, there's often a feeling of lightness in the mind. Um, so there's the, there is a mental state that's connected with emotions. That's not usually the most obvious piece. Often the most obvious piece is either the body... There can be a, an experience in the body with fear of contraction in the stomach, or clutching in the throat, or you know tensing through the body. Um, you know, each of the emotions that what we typically call emotions has um, a uh, a visceral component to it, often experienced. From here <laughs> down to here. You know, the, the whole visceral area of the body. And this, I think, is part of how our nervous system works. It, that, that we kind of take in information and it, it lands in us in this, this area. So there's that aspect of um, the, the physical sense of an emotion. And then there are the thoughts associated with the emotion. And sometimes the thoughts are how we know what an emotion is. So, for example, um, fear um has might have the story um you know what 's going to happen or uh, uh what do I do if you know kind of a little bit of that forward projecting mind um, um the uh Anger, anger has a story. Something often has a story. If they done me wrong, you know that kind of thing. And so sometimes, if you can't get in touch with the um, actual physical sense of the emotion, which is um, a very powerful driver for our thoughts and our choices, it's happening. But at least in my experience. When I first started trying to pay attention to emotions, it was not very accessible. This inner landscape of the feeling of an emotion. Um, I, was, I, I, I was pretty, I mean, I could tell from my actions I was angry. You know, I was like kicking holes in walls and throwing things at people. You know, um, but I couldn't, you know, the, the feeling inside was not, I, you know, so, and the thoughts, I could tell from the thoughts. Um, but it took a while for me to really begin to get a sense of the subtle uh, language of this inner part of the body. Um, so, you know, if if it's hard for you to t- get in touch with that, um, first of all, do you have a sense, and um, I'll ask you to turn the, the mic off now. Um, um, I'll restate the, the comment a little bit. Um, so in the exploration of emotions, you have a sense of the more obvious kind of emotion like anger, for instance, but you also have a sense there's something underneath it. And, um, that's harder to get in touch with even later in the day. If you go back to the situation in your mind and and try to feel into it, it's hard to get in touch with that. So that's, that's the question of how to begin to explore this more from that perspective. So, um, a couple of pieces. One in the midst of daily life, this kind of thing is is hard to uh, to explore, you know, right in the midst of it. So, if you're even recognizing, yes, I'm angry, and you know, noticing that, and you know, having that moderate your actions, that's fantastic, you know, in daily life. So it does it does get stronger. The mindfulness gets stronger as we. Cultivate it, and but, but what I what I mean by stronger actually isn't that in a moment mindfulness gets more powerful, but that there are more moments of mindfulness. Um, you know that that it's the continuity of mindfulness that gives mindfulness its power. And so the more we um, have moments of mindfulness, the more moments of mindfulness we get, <laughs> and it's like it just creates a. Uh, side <laughs> tegenia calls a snowball reaction <laughs> i think that's he he, he um, you know he he 's meaning the the you know the snowball rolling on itself but so um um it it creates a kind of a when we, the, the more we get familiar with mindfulness, the more mindfulness comes. And so the mindfulness begins to get more continuous. And as the mindfulness is more continuous, we can see more. Just very naturally. We don't even have to try. And so that's, that's, the, that's the, you know, the direction we're headed with daily life practice, is to just get, get to the place where we're more familiar with mindfulness, which gives more continuity, which allows us to see more. So at the beginning... Um, it's very helpful, as you um, pointed to, to um, with something that's happening very quickly, and you see a reaction developing, and actually, in that case, you saw that you're doing an action, then you feel the emotion, then it's like, okay, let me like check the intention, and, and then you feel the feeling. the the more obvious kind of feeling. So going back to that later, I just want to to restate that. I think I talked about this a little bit on Sunday and maybe on Monday night, but just to to, um, give you that instruction. Um, And I think I'll I'll actually go into this in depth on Thursday night. That's what I was thinking of doing on Thursday night. Um, If there's a situation in work where it feels like or in your life where it feels like, wow, it happens so fast that the emotions kind of go out of control and you're already acting and doing and speaking, a way in to begin to explore and get familiar with the emotions that happen that quickly is to later in the day when you have some time, sit down, open your, um, you know, be be relaxed, pay attention to your breath, just settle into meditation for a few minutes, and then bring up the scenario in your mind. And this is what I think you're doing, right? So you bring up the scenario in your mind, and it, it might be that all you need to do is bring it up for about two seconds. You know, create an image in your mind of the situation. Let yourself reflect on it, remember it. Uh, remember who the people were, what you were doing. You know, So just create that scenario in your mind. And then let go of the scenario and feel into what's happening. So this, this gives you the you know thoughts are really powerful, and so when you create a, a, a thought in your mind, uh, you will probably have very similar emotional responses to that thought that you had to the situation. They'll be a little more tamped down, they'll be a little less um, charged in a way, and perhaps a bit easier for you to start to connect with, and so you're seeing that you're seeing that there's something there, but not quite able to really connect with it. So, often with these, you know, with uh, with patterns that are very familiar, there's a lot of pieces to that pattern. It's more than just two layers. It's probably a whole ball of yarn. It's big mess. Lots of habits and patterns have kind of gotten all wound up together against each other. And our idea is often that we think we should, that the way to figure this out or, you know, the way to understand this is to pull it apart. You know, it's like to to dive into the middle, to figure out what's right in the middle. And um, in our meditation practice, that doesn't seem to be a very uh, helpful way to go about it. Instead, it requires a lot of patience. And what I like to suggest is, it's like there's, it's like you know, you know, there's something there. You're aware already. There's something there. You're not so clear on what it is. And so, hang out with that space of something's here. I don't know what it is. That's being mindful of it. That's awareness of that state. You know, there's not a clarity in your mind about exactly what it is. It's kind of like a very receptive, open, oh, this is happening and don't have a name for it, don't have a word for it. That, that, so hanging out, like, I think of just like that big mess. You're just like hanging out with your arms, allowing the whole mess. And being aware of whatever is obvious in that mess. And there may not be words for it. So some of it may be confusion or maybe um, not knowing, just uncertainty. Um, and so just, is, is it possible Just see, because sometimes it's uncomfortable when we don't know something. And so what another thing to check into there would be, what's your relationship to not knowing? Oh, I don't like not knowing. So, so that then you you um you just see what you know, what what's happening there. At least my my take on what's happening there is like there's a whole bunch of stuff all wound up in a big mess. And it's like we're we're touching the edges of the whole mess. And at various times different like parts of that big mess will kind of come to the surface and we may get a few seconds of hanging out with one part of that big mess and have no idea what it is and then it's like and then another part comes up and we get a little taste of that and then another part comes up and so we're just like receiving 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 that experience with the interest in being curiosity rather than Figuring out. I mean, it's interest, a little s- subtle distinction there. P- curiosity be, show me what you are, as opposed to figuring out being, I'm going to figure you out. So it's a, it's a subtle difference there. And then every time that... So you could do this with this particular scenario, perhaps, you know, over the course of a week or a couple weeks, and you might then begin to get a little bit of a sense over time with patience, it's like, it, it's like sometimes it's, it's so interesting. You're sitting there and it's like, oh, there's that feeling again. And then it like hits you over the head. Oh, this is a feeling of vulnerability. Oh, <laughs> you know, so suddenly some, you know, it becomes clear to us. So it's, it's more the, the willingness to just hang out with it and um, uh, patiently... Let it show itself to us. Sometimes emotions are like really shy, you know. And if you, you know, like certain creatures in the wild, you, you have to like not look at them, you know, you look at them out of the corner of your eye. Sometimes it can be like that with emotions. If you like go room, they, they go vanishing. So sometimes it's just like really broad and uh, let them show themselves and patience about actually being able to identify them. It sounds to me like from what you've described, you're already actually in touch with it, you just don't know what it is. So that's a place in mindfulness that it's really helpful to get comfortable with because the more we practice, the more we see there's a lot of stuff that we're not familiar with. And... um, you know, kind of the deepening of practice happens through unfamiliarity, so so getting getting more familiar and getting comfortable with being in places where it's unfamiliar can be really helpful. So more elaboration on tiredness through the day. Um, well, so there's two pieces. One um, when I was speaking before, it sounded like the uh, the tiredness was about the mindfulness itself. And in this case, it's not so clear to me. It could be that the tiredness is just about having gone through your day. Um, And it's, you know, depending on how much sleep we get, you know, how much activity we have to do. I mean, thinking, for instance. If if your work requires a lot of thinking, thinking actually takes so much energy. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I've actually discovered that when I'm doing computer programming or when I was doing computer programming, I needed like nine hours of sleep a night, and then when I go on retreat and the mind really lets go of thinking, I need about four hours of sleep, four to five hours of sleep at night. And it's like, wow, you know, that mental activity demands, you know, a lot of energy. So depending on how much energy you're using in your regular activities, um, that's, um, that may be an impact on your ability to kind of just even remember to be mindful or to have the mindfulness kind of spontaneously arise. The more tired we are in general, I think the more our habits kind of start to kick in. You know, it's like the, when, the, when the brain is, is in low energy mode, it's going to go its easiest, most well-worn routes. And that often includes non-mindfulness. <laughs> so um, one thing I'll suggest is an exploration um, because there's a lot of energy that we use in our regular day, not not only not only to speak of the mindfulness. I, so before I was talking about looking at how you're, you know, what's the energy you're using about being mindful. Are you overdoing that? Uh, then another exploration around energy is to just see how much are your energy are you doing in your like regular activities during the day. This was an interesting exploration. Um, one of my teachers came to uh, IMS and he was teaching for two weeks at IMS um, in April, May. And this was a conversation that came around in one of the interview groups. And um, Desaito was suggesting, you know, just pay attention to, to how much energy you're using in your activity. And, and one, one person said, yeah, I'm noticing like... That toothbrush, you know, it's like, I am like really brushing my teeth. He said that the toothbrush is like only a month old and it's already like really destroyed. And and, and he said, I see how much over effort I'm making in just the simple activity of brushing my teeth. And so look at, uh, you know, you can kind of check into uh, how much energy are you using through the day. That that can be a very interesting uh, mindfulness project in effect. Um, not, uh, not about not necessarily about the mindfulness itself, but just about you know I remember on one one retreat I was washing vegetables, and um, I was like I had dived into washing vegetables, I was focused completely on washing vegetables and it 's like how much it, I saw it in that moment, just how much energy I was using to do that so there there 's a lot of things that we can um, actually let go of over energy you know over doing things with more energy, and then you can also check in um, around the thoughts because thoughts take a lot of energy, and so if there 's a lot of useless thinking going on it 's going to be it 's going to be using a lot of energy too so i 'd encourage that exploration during your day and then. Um, it sounds to me like the mindfulness is revealing that you're tired. (laughs) So maybe going to bed earlier is not a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Mary Ellen. So with respect to seeing vulnerability, you know, this is, we are vulnerable. Now, this is a truth, and um, when we can get to the place of seeing vulnerability, I mean, we, we, we think a lot of times, we think that with respect to like that big complex, a mess of stuff that I was talking about earlier, you know, sometimes we think the best thing that I, if I, could, if I could take a scalpel and like, you know, cut that whole thing out and like get rid of it, that would be the best. You know this whole pattern is completely useless, and yet often inside of many many i think I've seen this enough times now that i'm I'm almost ready to say inside of pretty much every um, afflictive emotion, there is something beautiful uh, and something true, so like anxiety and fear often has vulnerability in there somewhere the sense of it's out of control i can't i can't be in control here you know and the recognition that there is that that, that vulnerability you know so so the and, and certain other you know like inside of wanting you know inside of greed of wanting to have something often is the the, the inner wish to just be happy you know to just to just have some ease in our life and so the 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 inner wishes and they're they're often connected with the the flavor of metta the wish to be happy healthy safe and at ease you know those are the, the four some of the four flavors of metta um, that um, when we Touch into that big mess of stuff will often touch in in the middle somewhere to one of these core wishes of wow, all, all, you know what what the, what the, 's going on here is it there, the, this being wants to be happy, and this is the only way it knows how to go about doing that. This being feels vulnerable, and that feels threatening, and the, this being wants to not feel threatened. So the the um, you know inside of these complexes is often a grain, uh, or not more than a grain, a thread of a very wholesome, beautiful wish that has been layered with reactivity, so vulnerability gets layered with fear and wanting to control and it basically not being okay that we're we are vulnerable. And this is like you know this is running running you know right against what's actually true, right? I mean, we are vulnerable. We're vulnerable when we walk out the door. We're we're vulnerable in here. I mean, there's no guarantee we're going to walk out of this room alive. Um and you know that 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 very core vulnerability is something that is it 's hard to open to it is hard to open to, but it is truth and and a lot of our um, strategies in life are kind of how can I avoid this truth <laughs> so um, s- s- beginning to open to some of those core places, sometimes we find. When the mindfulness gets stronger, sometimes we find that that alignment, when we actually align with, oh, vulnerability, well, actually, that's true. You know, the mind can kind of relax a little bit and recognize, well, that's that's true. I remember at one point, I was, um, it was right after September 11th attacks, and I was, at my parents' house and so needed to fly home. And my plane um, was scheduled. I was fortunate in that it was scheduled several weeks later, and so my plane wasn't canceled and I didn't have to reschedule or anything. But my plane uh, was scheduled for the um, day after the plane started flying again. So, you know, it was was pretty... uh, Tenuous, it seemed. You know, they were they, they were wanting us to call in and whatnot, and so I fl- I flew out. My plane was delayed, of course. You know, partly it was from weather, but my plane was delayed, and um, uh, I had a connection through Houston and had to um, stay overnight in Houston because I missed my connection home, and so I was at Houston. I was at Houston, at George W Bush International, or George H Bush International Airport. And um, in my hotel, the power went out that night, and I looked out. You know, at first I thought it was probably just the hotel. And I looked out, and the entire everything I could see was dark. There was no light anywhere, and you know, George Bush International Airport. What you know, my mind went. What kind of a you know symbolic you know. Uh, uh, terrorist attack, you know, to, to, uh, to attack the airport of the, the, the president of the United States. So, um, fear, a lot of fear. My mind, my mind, my mind went to, um, you know, all of us in the hotel having to gather and, I mean, it just projected. It's like, it, it like, you know, all of us in the hotel having to gather in the, in the hallways and be quiet. And, you know, it's like it was creating disaster scenarios, in my mind. And um, um, at some point I recognized the fear was pretty out of control. And so I started, as a, as a way to counter that, I started doing metta. I started just you know may all beings be happy may all beings be safe you know that one really resonated <laughs> may all beings be safe it's like yes that's 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 what i wish for and when i touched into that wish it was like the whole being relaxed it's like yes that's actually what's going on here is that i wish for safety for all beings and then the mind would you know lose touch with that and it would freak out again and it would get you know it would it would have this huge thing of fear and it's like oh come back you know may all beings be safe and what i saw was that fear and that the metta actually was really strong it was one of the strongest experiences of metta that i had that I, when i could touch into it it wasn't it wasn't you know, just the, the thoughts. It actually was the heart open to, yes, what I really want is for the whole planet to be at peace. You know, That's what I want right now. And when I could touch into that, the heart was open, it wasn't contracted. And then, whew, the thoughts came in, it was contracted again, the fear exploded, and I saw that that wish for all beings to be safe, that, all, that metta was kind of at the center of the fear, and that the fear was essentially a contracted response to that wish. You know, the feeling that it's not possible for all beings to be safe, so this is a problem, and what are we going to do about this? You know, as, you know, it's like opening to that truth of the wish and the vulnerability of beings um, really showed me just how much our reactivity is based in a, a craving or clinging response to the truth. And so the, you know, our, all of our patterns and habits have a way that they can lead us back to a very deep truth if we're willing to, like, hang out with them. You know, so rather than to say, this whole thing is bad, get rid of it. You know, what's the deep truth inside this? What, what is this pointing to? It comes back often to one of three things. Things are impermanent. They're unreliable. And they're out of control. <laughs> That's the reality. That's the reality. And boy, we do not like that reality. And yet it is possible to be at ease and at peace with that reality. And it is way easier to live in the world when we're not fighting that reality. It sounds like, you know, it sounds counterintuitive in a way. If if we open to those truths, you know, impermanent, unreliable, out of control, you know, our, 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 our normal minds, our usual conditioned minds saying... Not possible to live in the world with, those, with that reality. I have to be deluded. I have to pretend it's not that way. But the, the mess that we get ourselves in by deluding ourselves and pretending it's not that way is huge. So pretty much every suffering, struggle, thing that we go through is pointing back to one of those truths. And how we're not able to open to one of those truths. So all of our suffering gives us a doorway to truth and reality. Patience with opening to it. Um, the exploration of the unknown. The uh, you know the exploration of um, the uncertainty or not being clear about what's going on underneath. Uh, takes a, I've, I've been saying over the past few days, you know, that there's, there's, there's a mistake we sometimes make about mindfulness being a choosing what we pay attention to. And I'm, I'm wondering a little bit if that's going on with you. I can come back to that in just a minute. Um, and there is a way. I mean, definitely, we can choose what to pay attention to with mindfulness. We can we can pick, like right now, for instance. I can suggest pay attention to your feet. You know, pay attention to your hands. And you know, you you can direct your attention to various areas of experience and choose to pay attention because attention is a factor of mind that is amenable to conscious intervention. So we can choose what to pay attention to. And sometimes we confuse being mindful with having control over choosing what we're paying attention to. And this uh, exploration of the unknown is really, I mean, the only way we're going to see the unknown is by opening up to things we don't know and don't know how to pay attention to. So there's a way of being mindful that is more, um, you know, that is more you could say letting things come to you instead of you choosing what to pay attention to. So especially with things that are unfamiliar or like, um, um, uh, you know, that things that are happening that you're not sure of what they are, it's like if you're trying to find it, that very trying to find is prob- might be getting in the way of the seeing. So um, it's kind of like, I think of a kind of mindfulness that's like ring the doorbell and see what answers the door, like be in in the present moment and what is arriving, as opposed to what is being chosen. You know, as opposed to consciously choosing something, um, it's it's a, it's kind of a stepped back perspective that essentially. I'm going to come back to attention for just a minute. The factor of attention. Um, we usually think of attention as being our choosing what to pay attention to. But when we are not consciously choosing what to pay attention to, processes in our mind are choosing what to pay attention to, essentially. So there's always something being attended to. Um, the factor of attention is kind of like you know the breath in a way. Uh, the breath... You can consciously say, uh, let me breathe in, and I breathe in. Let me breathe out, and I breathe out. So that, that breath is amenable to that kind of willful control. Uh, but if we don't willfully control it, it does itself, right? You know. So at the factor of attention in the mind is kind of like that. It is amenable to willful control. We can choose. And it also, when we are not consciously choosing the conditions of our uh, mind and body and situation that we're in is choosing something to be attentive to, is choosing something. And uh, this kind of stepped-back mindfulness is, is opening to, okay, what, what is already being paid attention to? And that, it's like the mind knows how to pay attention to things that we do not know how to pay attention to. And so it's it's beginning to trust with the mindfulness, with the sense of presence of mind. It's beginning to trust in a process that we don't have control over. <laughs> so um, you know, just that, that's a little bit of an exploration around uh, attention and the exploring of things that we don't know or unfamiliar with. It's really a stepped back thing. Um, and I'm curious just before you say anything, cause I want, I, I don't know if you were here when I mentioned what I'm doing here is recording when I respond, but I'm not, you know, taking, we're not recording when you guys are speaking, um, so that, uh, so that it's, you know, can be published. My responses can be published on the internet. Um, so if you could just hold off responding for just a sec, um, with the, um, uh, you said something like it, it. mindfulness is hard or mindfulness is difficult. Um, and that makes me wonder if you are uh, throughout the day more choosing what to pay attention to rather than being in this more receptive mode. So um, turn it back on and then I'd like to hear your, what, what, what your comments are.